0: Whatever it was, it happened in the carriage house within a few weeks of its completion. Jedediah Thorne never got to live in the estate he'd built in Beacon-by-the-Sea. The Thorns had been seamen on the North Shore for centuries, but Jedediah was the first to make any money, prospering in shipping in those first years following the Civil War. After serving five years in prison for killing Benjamin Morse, Jedediah headed west only to return, finally, to the East Coast, just before his death. It was his ghost, people said, haunted the carriage house to this day. It was where he'd killed a man. It was where his spirit remained. Why, no one seemed to know. I don't believe in ghosts, Tess said. Susanna rocked back in her chair. Let's put it this way. You're stuck. Pay the tax bill or let the town take the place and call it a day. Or try to sell it. New Englanders are pretty damn weird when it comes to old houses. Maybe someone will buy it. I'm not sure I want to sell it. Tess, you've had this place for over a year and haven't stepped foot in it. That's because I kept thinking Ike would show up and want it back, or want more work for it, or his sister would. Lauren Montague is the workhorse for the Beacon Historic Project. I'm not sure Ike told her what he was up to. He could transfer the deed on his own? Apparently, I did promise him I'd do more work. We were to discuss specifics the day he stood me up. I haven't heard from him since. Think he's dead? Tess winced at Susanna's frank question. Ike was in his mid forties, so filled with life and energy it was impossible to believe he was dead. Yet that was what most people assumed that his recklessness had caught up with him and he'd gone overboard or walked off a cliff. Not on purpose. Ike would never commit suicide. Taking off for months at a time without telling anyone is within his pattern of behavior, Tess said. The police haven't declared him a missing person or anything. I don't know if Lauren has sounded the alarm. It's not something I've pursued. Well, dead or alive, he signed the place over to you. And now, obviously, the property tax assessors have caught up with you. So, that cinches it. You can't avoid reality. The carriage house is yours. What you do with it is up to you. I've wanted a place in Beacon-by-the-Sea for as long as I can remember. My mother and father and I used to have picnics there on the beach before she died. We'd walk past all the old houses and Mum would tell me stories. Susanna came and stood beside her. Fundamentally, all financial decisions are emotional. She gave Tess a quick, irreverent grin. Look at it this way. A run-down 19th century carriage house, haunted by a convicted murderer, ought to make an interesting weekend project. Tess decided to drive up to Beacon-by-the-Sea and take a look at her property that afternoon. She quit work early to get ahead of rush hour traffic and made her way up to the tip of Cape Ann, to the Beacon Historic Project's offices to pick up the key to the carriage house. The project offices were located in one of its restored late 18th century buildings in the village, just a short walk to the harbor. Modeled after the more famous Doris Duke Foundation in Newport, Rhode Island, the Beacon Historic Project, Ike's brainchild, bought up old houses and outbuildings all over the North Shore, gutted them, rebuilt them according to exacting standards, and leased them to carefully screened tenants. In many once decaying neighborhoods, the project's work had sparked renovation and renewal, a sense of civic pride. When she started freelancing for Ike, Tess had toyed with the idea of leasing a small, early 18th-century house herself. Then he'd presented her with the carriage house. Its 1868 construction put it outside the project's parameters. They preferred pre-1850 structures, or so Ike had explained. Tess had never really understood what his motives were. She entered the building that housed the project's offices. Through a doorway to the right, a pencil-thin older woman greeted Tess. May I help you? Hi, Mrs. Cookson, I'm Tess Haviland. Why, Miss Haviland, I'm so sorry. I didn't recognize you. What can I do for you? I stopped by to pick up the key to the thorn carriage house. I know it's been a while, but I thought I should take a look at it before I decide what to do. The elderly receptionist looked confused. The key to the Thoan carriage house? I don't understand. It's all right, Muriel. Lauren Grantham Montague approached from an adjoining room, smiling graciously. She was Ike's younger sister, and her resemblance to Ike was subtle, but unmistakable. It's so good to see you, Tess. I should have called you myself long before now. I have the key to the carriage house. I'll get it for you. Is Miss Haviland doing work for us? Muriel Cookson asked, obviously confused. Lauren continued to smile, but a coolness had come into her gray eyes, as if she was struggling to hide much stronger emotions. No, I assume she's checking on her property. Before he left last year, Ike transferred ownership of the Thorn carriage house to Tess. I should have told you before now. It simply hasn't come up. the receptionist paled, but said nothing. She was a contrast to the tawny-haired Lauren in her expensive, tasteful clothes and easy manner. There was nothing naturally gracious or easy about Muriel Cookson, whom Ike used to describe to Tess in unflattering terms. Muriel wants to die at her desk in her rockports. He would tell Tess but Lauren wants visionary philanthropist written on her tombstone. He'd said this sarcastically the same day his younger sister had announced her engagement to Richard Montague, a domestic terrorism expert with the North Atlantic Strategic Studies Institute. Ike's ego knew no bounds. When he took off a week later, Tess half assumed he was miffed because he hadn't gotten to hand-pick his future brother-in-law and needed to nurse the wound to his ego. Lauren was totally dedicated to the Beacon Historic Project, wanting to take it in new directions. Ike didn't care. Tess had sensed he was bored with it, anxious to move on, and apparently he had. Lauren and Richard were married two months later, without Ike. Lauren withdrew momentarily into the adjoining room at the back of the old restored house, returning to hand Tess a manila envelope. There are two keys, both to the side door. There's no front door key, I'm afraid, and no bulkhead key. Thank you. My pleasure. Let us know if there's anything we can do. Tess could feel the outline of the keys through the envelope. Her keys, her carriage house. She was surprised at the sudden rush of excitement. She thanked Lauren, said goodbye to her and Mrs. Cookson, and withdrew into the May sunshine. She breathed in the smell of the ocean and smiled. For the past year, she hadn't dared believe the carriage house was really hers. No more. At least, not for the moment. She hopped into her car and headed out of the village along the ocean. The business district ended, houses thinned out. A rock-strewn beach stretched out on the ocean side of the road as it wound onto a narrow point. At the very tip of the point was the Thorn Estate, a slate-blue clabbered house with gnarled apple trees, oaks, and a huge shagbark hickory. The main road hooked around in front of it, intersecting with a narrow side street where the carriage house stood. Tess slowed, barely breathing, and made the turn. The carriage house was exactly as she remembered it from last March its narrow clapboards also painted a slate blue, its own gnarled apple tree out front. She pulled into its short gravel driveway. In early spring, the lilacs hadn't been in bloom. They were now, the bushes growing in a thick, impenetrable border on the back and both sides of the carriage house's small lot, carving it out from the rest of Jedediah Thorne's original estate. Tess shut her eyes and gave herself a pep talk. All right, so the place is haunted. What do you care? With your imagination, you'd probably invent a ghost on your own. This way you don't have to. But leave it to Ike Grantham to give her a haunted house and her to take it. Andrew Thorne was not a happy man. He tried to convey this to Harley Beckett, his cousin, and the one man on the planet Andrew would trust with his life. If he didn't kill him first. She's not in her treehouse hall. Carl grunted. Then she's chasing after that damn cat. He was flat on his back under a 1920s roll-top desk he was working on. Carl was the best furniture restorer on the North Shore, maybe in all of New England. His skills as Chief Dolly Watcher, however, were currently under suspicion. Dolly was Andrew's six-year-old daughter, and when he'd come home from work, a long, aggravating day of...